Goff to throw. Here comes pressure. Escapes. Fires over the middle, and it is incomplete. Goff trying to connect to Reynolds. He had it. Couldn't bring it in. Hey now. hey now, welcome to the Sportscaster Season 14, Episode 2. It is February 1st, 2024, coming to you live from North Tonawanda, in New York, in the spare bedroom of my house on Walk Road. And just a few weeks ago, miraculously so, in this spare room here, in my house in North Tonawanda, New York. I had the pleasure of interviewing the great Bob Costas. And uh, since then, many of you have listened and reached out to me and said kind words, and uh, I appreciate them. I'm really happy with how it went. I think it turned out really well. Uh, I think Bob had a good time on the show. I think he'd come back sometime. I certainly plan on asking him uh, someday to come back uh, again. Uh, and uh, it was the thrill of a lifetime. It really was. And um, and now we're off here, season 14, and it didn't take long uh, for me to start getting frustrated about booking, which is a pain in the ass in 2024. But we have a great show for you today. I played the highlight off the top, um, and that was one of the controversial fourth down decisions that Dan Campbell made in the NFC Championship game. And the Lions went from their first Super Bowl appearance to collapsing and losing. And now we have a rematch of the Super Bowl four years ago, 49ers and Chiefs. The Chiefs, of course, came to Buffalo and crushed the hopes of my mother and my brothers and beat the Bills. And uh, then went to Baltimore and crushed the hopes of Lamar's mother and brothers and beat the Ravens. And another Chiefs Super Bowl. And I'll just chime in real quickly on the Taylor Swift thing. Uh, I don't care about it. I don't. The cutaways don't bother me one bit. They cut away to a million things during a football game. And it makes a lot of sense that if you have one of the biggest celebrities in the world uh, who's dating someone on the team and he scores a touchdown, that you'd probably cut away to see her reaction. Right? I mean, this is something that's been on football games forever. Um, I just think there's a little bit of fatigue out there for the Chiefs and for Taylor. And that happens when you get to the level of greatness that they have. You know, it happened to Duff Chick- Duff's chicken wings. You know, they got to a level of greatness. People have turned on them. There's fatigue. People get worn out. Um, but I, I have no problem. And you know what? As the dad of a seven-year-old who's, she's into Taylor Swift, but like she's more into being into Taylor Swift than actually being. Taylor Swift's music or anything. Um, she's sort of more into the trend. You know, she likes the idea of being a Swifty more than she is a Swifty. Uh, she loves it and is so excited for the Super Bowl, you know, and she's never been this excited before for it. So, and that's great for me. I love watching football with her. So, it's a net positive, I think, in the end. Uh, who's going to win? I have no, I mean, I would never bet my money against 
Pat, you know, Pat Mahomes. If I'm going to lose my money, it's not going to be because I'm betting against that guy. Um, I mean, I probably won't bet regardless. Maybe getting a squares pool or something, but um, I guess I'll go with uh, probably the Chiefs win again. I guess I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much. Uh, hasn't been a great NFL playoff, so not enough good games. One or two good games. Bills and Chiefs was really good. 49ers and Lions is a good second half. Uh, but a lot of blowouts. Uh, not a great year uh, for the playoffs. Uh, the Sabres still stink. They're at the all-star break. And the year that was supposed to be, you know, when the Sabres finally... Um, took that next step and were, would be in a position at the all-star break to, you know, end the lockout or the, uh, the drought. They have 48 points. You know, they are 11 points behind Tampa Bay for a spot in the Atlantic playoffs. And as far as the wild card goes, uh, they are 10 points back of that with one game in hand on Detroit. Uh, but there are one, two, three, four, five teams ahead of them before Detroit and Toronto. So they stink. They're not going to the playoffs again. They've regressed. Nothing good is happening. Jack Quinn is injured again. He's going to be out two months. Um, disaster. Uh, we'll see after the All-Star break. If they're going to change this season, it has to start right away. Got to win. You got At some point, you got to hit 14 out of 18 or something. And I don't know that I've seen anything that tells me this team could do that. Uh, Juventus and Inter is this weekend. Um, Juventus and Inter will play. You know, I think I started this rant saying we had a great show for you today. I don't know if I said who's on. Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders, or what was Football Outsiders. He's now with, I think, FTH Football. He's the guy who does the football almanac. He comes on every winter. He's the king of analytics. We're going to talk about what happened in the Lions game. And we'll also break down the Super Bowl, see what his numbers say about that game, see what his numbers say about the decisions Dan Campbell make. And I recorded this yesterday, and we go at each other a little bit. He's better suited for the arguments, like he has these arguments every day. Um, so I didn't expect to beat him in the debate, necessarily. Uh, but still, for me, I will just say, you'll hear it in the interview, but it boils down to, I'm going up 17 points on the road, three scores in the NFC Championship game. Every single time with two and a half, three minutes left in the third quarter. I'm just, I'm going to make them score three times. I'm just going to. Uh, and I could be out of touch or out of date. We'll see what Aaron thinks. But that's first. Uh, we'll take a break. I'll let you know what's going on in the book club, which is just sort of getting started for the year. Uh, and then we're going to have a special interview. Don't do a lot of athletes, but we have a great one on today. Lane Hudson, uh, who just won gold with Team USA at the World Junior Championships is on the program. Lane plays at BC or BU, excuse me, plays at BU and is getting ready for the Bean Pot in Boston. And uh, we do an hour with Lane. And if you like hockey, if you're interested in what it means to be a D1 athlete or a developing hockey player, if you're a Canadians fan, you're looking forward to Lane being a Canadian. He talks about his dreams and 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 where that stands, but. Uh, we have Lane Hudson, who hasn't done a lot of interviews, I don't think, to this level. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But he'll be on the program as well. And, of course, we'll do uh, one last thing. I, I did want to say Juve and, and Inter is this weekend. Uh, the two most likely teams to win Scudetto this year. 
Uh, certainly, Inter would be the favorite. Uh, Uve lost drop points last game, uh, which is disappointing with a tie. They haven't lost a game since September, though. Uh, we'll see what happens with Inter. They tied last time, um, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, looking forward to that on Sunday at 2.45. Still waiting on information about Italy supposedly coming to the United States to play in Philadelphia. If they're there, I'll be there. My family will be there. Uh, hopefully it still happens. I haven't gotten ticket information or anything like that, but looking forward to that. Hopefully it happens. Uh, trying to think what else is going on. Been a crazy month or more in sports media. Uh, wild things have happened. Awful announcing had a pretty, a pretty sweet grid. And uh, we're going to have to reach out to some of our you know, sports media friends specifically and go over some of this stuff. But it sounds like Brady is going to be behind the mic next year, uh, which means that Greg Olson, uh, who called the Super Bowl last year and just called, you know, that great NFC championship game is going to have to drop down a booth. It's like a, a it's like a eight eight figure pay cut, I think. You know, goes down to three million a year from I think he's at ten. I mean, that's a seven-figure pay cut, but a big one. Listen to what's gone on in sports media this month. You've had the drama between Pat McAfee and Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Norby Williamson and Mike Foss clusterfuck that whole drama there with you know McAfee against ESPN, Rodgers against Kimmel, all tied together. Uh, the battle between Stephen A. Smith and Jason Whitlock—that's nonsense to me. I'm paying attention to that. Two rich guys pissing in the wind, yelling at each other. Uh, we've had scandals like the ESPN College Game Day fake name scandal, which is crazy. You know, someone went to Lee Corso's house and took his Emmys away. Uh, Vince McMahon resigned in potential shame. We'll talk about that more on the 24-inch podcast. I don't know what happened there. Sex trafficking allegations. Uh, meanwhile, the WWE and Netflix have an epic deal. Uh, Barstool and DraftKings came together. Bailey Sports and Amazon saving an RSN there, potentially Amazon. And then the big one for me, my friend Andrew Marchant left the New York Post. He's at The Athletic with our friend Richard Deitch. Uh, John Oran left Sports Business Journal for some other place. Rest in peace to the RN and Marchand and RN podcast. That's gone. Doc Rivers left ESPN. They could be in a situation where they broadcast the NBA Finals without a player or coach who's ever been in the league, which would be unprecedented, I believe. Uh, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick are media-free agents. They haven't gotten new jobs yet. Can maybe even throw Pete Carroll in the mix if he's interested. Noah Eagle got a playoff game instead of Al Michaels, which no offense to Noah Eagle, but that's a disgrace that Al didn't get a playoff game. Uh, McAfee has signed on to do Raw full-time now. I don't know how that guy sleeps. A CEO of Barstool left. Uh, Peacock had their exclusive playoff game, which was wild. And the last thing, and I'll, t- I'll talk about this, and then we'll move on to the interviews, but Sports Illustrated is is potentially not a magazine or a thing anymore. Uh, they, th- there's one group that owns the likeness of Sports Illustrated, and they licensed the ability to publish under the name Sports Illustrated to another company. That company failed to make the payments, so the people that own the licensing cut them off and then they fired everybody the other they said well we can't publish si we can't have si workers 
they published a large part of the staff. Um, and there was a day on Twitter where people were, you know, um, sending art, you know, tweeting covers that they loved and reminiscing and, and no matter what happens going forward, it's never going to be the same for sports illustrated sports illustrated is Americana. It's, it's something that I'm so glad I lived in the era of sports illustrated that more of my life, hopefully, um, or at least half of it will be in a, in a world where sports illustrated mattered. I think I've said this before, but I would get off the bus on Thursdays. Know it was in the mailbox. I'd get it out of the mailbox turn it to the back page to Rick Riley's article and read that as I walked down the driveway into the house. And if I wasn't finished by the time I got to the boot room, I'd finish it in there before I took my shoes off and went in the house. Um, and in 2021, when John Wertheim wrote about me for Sports Illustrated, it's the thrill of my life. You know, besides getting married and have a kid, it's the greatest moment of my life. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. You know, I am not, not an athlete per se. I was a good high school hockey player, but that's, doesn't make you an athlete that Sports Illustrated cares about. I never dreamed I would be the subject of a Sports Illustrated article beyond my wildest dreams that it happened. Um, so I hope there's a way, a path forward. You know, there's people I, I like very much there that I hope still have work and still do content that I enjoy. You know, Jimmy Train, a sports media podcast I love listening to. Hopefully that still exists. Uh, but tough times, a crazy month in sports media. Uh, maybe we'll reach out to like Neil Best. We haven't on a, had on in a while, or you know, someone different, get a different perspective. I'm sure Deitch and Marchand are settling in over at Athletic. Marchand's been saying for a while he owes me an interview, which he does. So we'll see what happens there. But all right, let's take a break. Let's get started. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. Uh, let's find out about Dan Campbell and his analytics. Thank you for checking out the Sportscasters podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show, the 24-inch podcast. Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan, the immortal one. We do it every other week. We cover matches from the 80s, the 90s, his entire career. We read the news from the era. It's a great nostalgic look back at the greatest wrestling career in the history of the business. Be sure to check it out right on this feed, brother. Hey, Aaron, how you doing today? Hey, good, man. Welcome. Welcome. Fun time. Uh, lots to discuss. You're the first person I thought of when I was watching the game, uh, the Detroit game on Sunday as it was finishing. And the first thing I want to say is what I am not. And I am not someone who thinks that analytics is not important. I am not. You know I'm not that guy. right? Yep. I, I've been calling you for years and hanging on your every word every August and, and listening to what you, you say about how the and, and believing that you have figured out a way to really understand what happens on the field using numbers. Uh, so I want to say that first. The second thing I want to say is maybe I think something is happening, and you may or may not disagree with this, and I'm curious. But last year I had Joe, Joe Madden on the show, the manager of the Cubs when they won the World Series finally, and then he was at the Angels. And 
And sure, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you ask him, he will tell you that he's the guy who brought analytics to baseball and use it the way it is. I don't know if that's true or not, but if you ask him, he'll tell you that. And his line that I thought was really good is he says, when I, when I brought analytics to baseball, just again, his, his opinion, um, analytics were served the manager and I was able to use them as a tool to help make my decisions. He's like, when I was finishing in Anaheim, um, the manager was serving analytics. Analytics were, you know, instead of a tool to help, they were the, you know, you just always had to do what the number said or whatever. Yeah. I think maybe that's happening in football. I think that Dan Campbell. Oh, God, not even close. You don't think so? No, no. Okay. First of all, all when, right, they interviewed Dan Cam- when they interviewed Dan Campbell about his decisions, right? he never said the word analytics. Fair. And again, I don't want to get caught up in that word, though, either. He said he right. said the same things the coaches say when they go conservative. Okay. I thought it was the best thing for my team at the time. I looked at what we were doing well in the, in the game so far, and I felt that this was just the best way for us to go. He used the same language that coaches use. And normally, people are like, oh, well, I guess if the coach's gut said not to go for it, then the coach was right because his gut said that. But when Dan Campbell says his gut says to go for it, all of a sudden it's, oh, analytics are ruining football. Okay, It's gone too far. Analytics have gone too far. That's not what Dan Campbell said at all. Okay, Dan Campbell said, this is just what I felt was best for my team given the way things were going at the time. And the analytics are actually, you know, there's one model that has it as a, you should go for it, and another model that has it basically as a toss-up. But here's the thing. Toss-up does not mean kick. Sure. Toss-up means toss-up. Fair. It means you can do either, depending on what your gut says. And that's what Dan Campbell did, and this is what his gut said. And it just didn't work. Now, this is also the post game. He's a little distraught. He also said that he made the one decision because he didn't want San Francisco to um, play long ball or something. They hadn't done that at all in the game. You know what I mean? Usually when you ask a coach after the game, it's all you always get the, I got to see the tape. You know, I got to see the tape. So I think there's a little emotion in that press conference. But fair enough, we can only take him at his word. I don't want to play shrink or anything here. Um, but he, it was a collapse. There's no denying that, right? Like they collapsed on all yeah. levels. I mean, you know, don't drop passes and don't fumble. And absolutely. You know, that's ex- that, absolutely part of it. I, I'm that's a there. couple of things you should not do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you there. And, and, and this is where I want to not be like, I know everything. I'm, I'm asking you this. Okay. Because I don't know. It's curious to me that the analytics wouldn't say there's two minutes left in the third quarter, go up three scores. Why isn't that? Why isn't? I, 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 no, that's not, Tell me why about Michael Badgley. Tell me about okay. Michael Badgley. Tell me about Michael Badgley, greatest kicker of all time that people seem to assume that he is. Tell me. About how Michael Badgley is a guarantee to kick that field goal and go up. Three well, no, nothing's a guarantee, right? Nothing's a guarantee. 
It's it's exa- is, it's inside he's 50. He's not very good. Right. He's not he's not very good at long kicks. Michael Badgley is not very good at long kicks. Okay, what's so, a long kick? I'm sure you have what a definition was it, 48? for it. It was 48. Okay. All right. So over 45 essentially would be a long kick then. He's something like 77% or something. All right. Right? Like it's not a guarantee that he makes that kick. And is that part of the equations? Oh yeah. Okay. So you have a different breakdown for to go or not to go based on who the kicker is specifically? Uh, so, some models do and some models don't. But okay. here's the thing. He's a below average kicker. So if the models were using an average kicker, they would be more likely to say to kick than what Dan Campbell really should have done because he has a below average kicker. Okay. But the basic idea remains. That's not a gimme field goal. It's not take the points. It's not like uh, goal line decisions where a team is like on the two. Like maybe before the half, their decision before the half then. Right. That is That field goal will vary, very rarely miss. That they field do goal the is right thing always there? going through. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I think so because one of the advantages of going for it on – fourth and short on the goal line is that if you fail, you stick the other team on their own goal line. Right. But right before halftime, there's no advantage. To there's that. no advantage there. Okay. So there's less advantage overall to going for it because you don't have that on the way back. Right. If it's advantage. right before halftime, right. there's less advantage. The half is all ending. So who cares where you are on the field? Okay. Fair. Now, what is the... I guess we're. I mean, I guess it's 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 harder to make a counter if we're just right away writing off Michael Bagley. I guess you know what I mean. Like, I mean, you're not writing him off, but it's hard. I I think inside fifty. I mean, it's not like in Super Bowl twenty five. That's the longest kick of Scott Nord. That would have been the longest make of Scott Nord's career. You know what I mean? It's his kickers are. That's one thing I think that's changed a lot about the the NFL in the last fifteen. 20 years is the, what an average kicker is. I mean, I think anything inside 50, you should be able to reasonably expect he's going to make it, what, 75% of the time or more? Sure. I mean, listen, here's the thing, especially by the time you get to the second field goal opportunity, which was sure. they were down three. Yeah. By that point, you know the San Francisco offense is doing very well. They're humming. Yeah, they're humming. Now. Do you think three points there? Do you think that's going to win the game for you? No, but I think it's going to keep... Because I also, people have spoken about this as if if Detroit had just kicked one of those field goals, they would have gone to overtime and won the game. I'm not it's, saying it's, that. It's, I, part I of what, it's part of what a problem that a lot of people have. In the, I'm not saying you're saying this, but a lot of people have this problem. Okay. A lot of people talk about football as if the goal of football is to get to overtime. Okay. You play to win the game. Sure. As I believe Herm Edwards once said. That was Herm, yes. So, That's I mean, fair. I don't look, I don't know if Campbell made the right decision, right? Like I said, the ESPN model has those decisions as toss-ups. Okay. What you can't say is that he lost them the game by being over aggressive. And I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I, I'm only saying that it was it was a collapse. And I think it's oh, yeah, it on, was many a col- uh, on many levels. It was levels. a collapse yeah. defensively yep. and the Jameer Gibbs fumble. And, and Reynolds dropped, Reynolds dropped two right, drops. The first, right, right yep. the first fourth down, the, the first of those two fourth downs. Got it they had a play that worked yep. and Reynolds dropped the ball. Yep, absolutely. 
I'm in on all that. I'm just trying to get a better understanding of his thinking. You know what I mean? I'm not trying, and that's why I said what I said at the beginning. I think he's thinking dance with the one that brung you. And that's I mean, I think he's thinking we've been aggressive all year. Our our short yardage, our our short yardage offense is working today. San Francisco's got a great offense. We need to score sevens to beat them. Let's do this. Let me respond to your question about the second one. You know, when you asked, like, do I what do what do I think if they make it? We talked about in the first half. One of the advantages is that they. One of the advantages we lose is they can't come back at us, right? And my thinking about that second one is if we go and we miss and they hum down like they're humming right now, now I'm down 10 and I need two scores. Right. It, no, tie. it's true. And it's the same as it, but it's also the same. First of all, that's the longer, that was the longer field goal, I think. Yeah, it was slightly longer. And, yeah. and, um, so the same is true with the field goal, except you're giving them eight more yards. Um, and, I mean, it's just, uh, here's the thing, right? If they had kicked one of those field goals and then the Jamison William touchdown ties the game, they're still at under 50% to win that game. Because there's the possibility that San Francisco drives for a winning field goal before overtime. Okay. And then San Francisco is the favored team. They're more likely to win in overtime. And you're saying if they make the the second, fourth down... And if they make that, that drive so therefore, and score, then they'd be a favorite to win from there. You're saying San Francisco, if San, if I'm saying if Detroit had had kicked that field goal, right, which means the Jamison William touchdown. Oh, right, I end. understand that part of it. What if? So you're yeah. saying, but on the flip side, if they convert and then they go and score, now they're in a plus position to win from there. Is what you're right. saying? Okay. Yeah. And do you know how about how much of a difference there is in terms of? No, I don't. Okay, no, I don't, not even no. a ballpark. No, I have no idea. No idea. Well, let me ask you another thing. Is it fair to put the decisions together? Like I know the uh, like the um when you're down eight now, this has become a thing, right? And it's worked at least one time this year. I think Tennessee made it work on Monday Night Football. Yeah, you're supposed to, or maybe it's fourteen. When you're down fourteen. You're when sp- you're down fourteen, yeah. and you score a touchdown that makes it eight. Right. You're supposed to go for two. Go for two. Yes. And that that um. That analytics is based on combining both outcomes, right? Um, what is that? If you miss the first two point conversion, you still have an you opportunity. Should, you'll probably get the second. second one because they're about 50 50, right? So you figure you're going to go one for two on those. Right. This, there's a 20, there's a 25% chance that you get neither of them. Right. Okay. So isn't it fair to say that you're probably going to get, isn't it the same with the fourth down conversions? Like, if if you zoom out of that game, wouldn't you you're, say you're probably going to make down one probably and, more than probably more than fifty percent? But um, even at fourth and what were they both fourth and three or more? Right, they weren't the, sure. The, one was two and one was three. One was two. One was three. Okay. The the difference is okay that when you're down fourteen, you know you need two touchdowns. You know you need two. Okay. Whereas in the fourth down decisions, when you make the first fourth down decision, you have no idea that there's going to be another fourth down decision. You have you have no clue. You can't make the fourth first fourth down decision thinking, well, there's going to be a second one of these. So you know I'll do one thing in one and one thing in the other. You have to make each of those decisions separated. Yeah, you're right. You don't know what's going to happen with it. That's a uh, that's certainly that that's me second guessing pretty hardcore, I guess, on that. Because um, yeah, you have no idea knowing you're going to have a second. 
opportunity there, you know. Um, the last controversial coaching decision has nothing to do with analytics, right? It's just a bad play call, right? I mean, they just decided to run it. They should have never run it. I mean, it, it does have to do with analytics okay. in, in the way, I mean, in the way that, that you know, analytics would tell you that onside kicks suck. Don't try them. So you better throw then, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. He, he made a mistake. He's, he's on the wrong side. He made of the a mistake, and he's yeah. admitted it. He's okay. admitted it. Yeah. He said he just thought they were going to get it, but you just can't take that risk. You have. You cannot take the risk. You have to throw it. Yeah, you can run a fourth down, maybe right? Because then, right? If you think that's the best play on fourth down, sure. But on third down, right. you have to throw. Correct. Okay. No controversy there. No. No. They they made that. They blew it, and the yeah. announcers. The announcers knew too that that they did that they blew that. Do you think? And maybe this is just us talking as football fans, but does because the league has has diminished the answer because they've had their motivation right. They think for safety they have to make these rule changes. Fine. Do they need to find a new way for team like the onside kick is dead with two the or fourth, made? Yeah, the fourth and fifteen idea. Yeah, they they do they need they need to have the an alternative to the onside kick. The onside kick is dead. And based on your research, is that the number fifteen? I can't tell you that I've done research. Okay, you're not positive. Of, yeah, lots of people have done research and they've come up with fifteen. So. Okay, that we, works for me. We need that. We need that bad. You know, we need something because the games just are over quicker. You know what I mean? They're, 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 we've lost a piece of an element. There's of no drama. chance to come. Yeah, yeah, there's no chance to miracle from miracle comebacks. I mean, general in general, comebacks are more common. Because of the fact that offenses are more powerful now than they used to be, and therefore offenses are more likely to come back. But those miracles with no time left are less common because the onside kick is is dead. There is, as a Saints fan, I was thinking of this during the game. Um, if you remember the NFC Championship game that the Saints played against the Vikings, you remember that game? It was 28-28, then regulation, and then Saints won a field goal. And... I was sitting in my on my couch, dejected for about seven straight minutes, thinking we were going to get walked off on, and um, it looked like that was going to happen. At the you know, uh, Minnesota had the ball last in regulation, and it looked like they were probably going to kick a winning field goal. Uh, then they got a too many men in the huddle penalty, moved them back five yards, and changed the the last play. And Brett Favre made a mistake, threw across his body, and got picked off by Tracy Porter. And there's a famous call on Vikings radio um, where the announcer's screaming, you know, this is for the Super Bowl. This isn't Detroit. You know, this is, you know, making a point that you can't do that in that moment. And I was thinking of that and, and maybe unfairly, and you can kill me here. That's fine. I was thinking about that in terms of some of the decisions that Dan Campbell made. You know, I just think based on the stakes you know, again, to me, and 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 this isn't. That's a are, ridiculous call. It's a ridiculous. You got to go up I'm three scores. You have to go up three I, scores. I've got to be a jerk. I, I'm sorry to be a jerk about this. Okay. He was Dan Campbell did not make those decisions because he wanted to make the math nerds look good. I didn't say that. He made those decisions because he thought that they gave him the best chance to win the game. Now you can disagree with the decisions, but the idea. That you are, you should coach differently because it's the playoffs. The goal is to win the game. Don't the goal in the to, regular season is to mo- win the game, and the goal in the playoffs is to win the game. 
And Dan Campbell was trying, you may disagree with what he did, but his goal was to win the game the same as it would be any other game. So he's going to coach the way he wants to coach because he's trying to win the game. But numbers are 2D, right? Don't you have to take into effect the moment, the where you yeah, are? Yeah, he did. He took, it, he took that into account. That's what he said in the press conference after the game. Okay. I looked at what my team was doing well, and we were doing well on those plays, and I thought we would get another one of them. Okay, he I did just think exactly, he's that, that he wrong. He did then. exactly, yeah. exactly what people who don't like analytics say coaches should do. He trusted his gut. The difference is his gut said something different than what your gut said. But he right. did what you want. You want the coaches to not trust the nerds, but to trust their gut. And that's what he did. But isn't his gut saying to trust the nerds? I'm using your words, not mine. But isn't his gut saying trust the nerds? Yeah, be because yeah. he's like, you know what? We're getting these short yardage plays. They're working for us. The other team's offense is really powerful. Like we, this is we need seven points, and we're doing good on these plays. Let's go out there and kick some ass. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think if he would, the put, idea that because it's the playoffs, he should coach scared. Not scared. It's not about yes. being scared. Yes, you're saying he should be he coaching passed up a great opportunity. I don't think it's conservative to go up by 17 points on the road in the NFC Championship game with 16, 17 minutes left in the game. Right, but that's not an analytics call. He didn't do it. Like I said, the analytics said it was a toss-up. He was going with his gut, which is what you want him to do. Okay, then we just, me and him just disagree, I guess, then. Yeah. yeah, you and him just disagree. But I, the idea that that one decision cost that game, I mean, they fold, they they melted down in so many different ways in that game. Let me give you two phrases. Take the points, go for it. Are two different phrases in football, right? Right. Has we have we have we gotten to a point where go for it is there's too much going for it. There's not enough taking the points there's situations no. where coaches are leaving points on the field in the spirit no. of going for it no no okay okay i mean over and over again this season i shook my head and said why wouldn't you take points there so i guess i i guess i still have a ways to go in understanding the modern game first of first of all usually when you're saying that to yourself it's not taking points it's trying field goals Trying field goals is different than taking points. Trying a 45-yard field goal is not taking points. But in the modern NFL, overwhelmingly, these guys are making their kicks. From 50 and beyond and stuff? No. no. Okay, not, not necessarily plus 50, 45 no. to 50 either. Okay. Outdoors in December? I mean, San Francisco's warmer than Buffalo, but still. Like, like it's, it's not a guarantee that you're going to kick that field goal. And you should never go the, – the field goals that are guarantees are field goals you should definitely not be kicking. Like 19 and 20-yard field goals are stupid. Oh, I agree because, with that. It, right? You need to be that's going so forward. That's so frustrating. Kicking a 23 and last field goal is so frustrating. Look, Like I said, I'm a Saints fan. Dennis Allen might be one of the worst coaches when it comes to these decisions – on the you know on the too conservative side, right? So many times I'm like, this guy has I mean, no I, balls. What is this guy doing? You know, is yeah. anyone helping him? Like he's a disaster. 
for many reasons. And um, that uh, he's, you know, and then finally one day he showed up and decided to go the other way um, in the game against the Rams. And, it, you know, of course it didn't work out. But and now if, if I remember you know, correctly, yeah. if I remember correctly, uh, Brandon Staley in his first season with the Chargers. Okay. Made a couple of decisions where analytics said to kick and he actually went for it. All right. Okay. And one of those, one of those, by the way, worked and they threw a touchdown to Mike Williams and they beat Kansas City. When, when coaches around the league are making decisions where the models say to kick and they go for it, that's when we will have gone too far the other way. Okay. But as far as I know, other than Brandon Staley doing it a couple of times, that's not something that coaches are doing at all. Let me ask, it's just by coincidence, another Lions controversy, because you made me think of that with that anecdote there. What about when they kept getting the penalties against Dallas? Was there ever a time the model said they yeah, should? Yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah, okay. I have no idea why he still went for it on okay. the, with 12 yards to go. The, the idea is of going for it there, like going for it with twelve yards to go, going for two with twelve yards to go. That was crazy. I don't know what he was thinking. Okay, okay. I was just curious if what the model said there. You know what the no, yeah. You yeah. don't go for two with twelve okay. yards to go. So that you is an don't. example of him just being a crazy person, which isn't that's necessarily a bad him, thing. That's just right? him yeah. being over aggressive. Right. Yeah, that's right. him being over aggressive. And again, I'm not even necessarily criticism criticizing him about that because I do understand. Like the what brought you to the dance argument, you know what I mean? I do understand that, you know, like yeah. hey, this is his personality, this is how he's been. His team responds to this, right? You know, and that was, I think, part of the failure of the Saints that night when I told, like, they didn't respond to Dennis Allen waking up six, 15 weeks into the year and saying, oh, maybe we're gonna start going for it once in a while on fourth and three. Um, you know, uh, but the Lions obviously they're conditioned, those players are conditioned for that, right? They were, you know, you know, and 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 I have very very consciously tried to say i'm not putting this on dan campbell i disagree with some of his, of his decisions and i'll continue to disagree yeah. on them but you gotta josh reynolds needs to catch the ball yep yeah right? there's i mean that if you can't you can't catch that i don't know if you can be on my team you know and i know you, but you, i don't you know i i feel like it's not you and know, gibbs can't fumble over, there gibbs he's can't not over aggressive He's not over aggressive. He just, you know, it was toss ups, and he decided to go for it on a couple of toss ups, and they just didn't get him. Fair enough. Fair enough. What, uh, looking ahead, what do you, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl based on everything you do? Well, I mean, everything is wrapped up in the idea of is Patrick Mahomes have special magic in the playoffs, right? Sure. I mean, if, you, if based on the regular season, San Francisco was the better team, right? Right. Yeah. So we're San Baltimore Francisco Buffalo, was right, the too. better team, but yeah. so was Baltimore. Yeah. But well, Buffalo was only the better team slightly, slightly. and they had a lot of injuries. That's sure. a very different. Yeah, okay. that's a very different situation than the Baltimore and San Francisco. Right. Baltimore and San Francisco were like historically dominant this year. So based on the regular season, San Francisco is the better team, and what looks like decline from their defense in the last few weeks is mostly um, an artifact of Week 18 when they sat people and the fact that they've had a harder schedule in the second half of the season. So their, their defense really hasn't declined at all. Right. Plus you take a little urgency out, I think too, right? Naturally, you know, they're coasting a little bit, no? So, I mean, I guess I favor San Francisco a little bit, but 
you know, when I first thought about it, I favored Kansas City a little bit. It's pretty, cl- it's pretty close. If you know, if you give Mahomes a little extra credit, it becomes pretty close. Pretty close. I think I, I, I did read that he has now played a full season equivalent in, in the playoffs, and it's like an yeah. MVP, and it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's forty eight hundred yards. I think you know, huge completion percentage. But I'll say the same thing that I said before the Baltimore game and before the. Well, not necessarily before the Buffalo game, but the same thing I said before the Baltimore game, which is how many games in a row do you trust his receivers? Yeah, not many. <laughs> not many. Right? Yeah. Like Kelsey yeah. Kelsey has played like he's 28 again. Right. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling has played like he's not Marquez Valdez-Scantling. How many weeks in a row do you trust that that's going to continue? Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. Kelsey may be with the extra week of rest, but, you know, and Do you I, trust Valdez Cantling? And you, they've almost, I mean, you almost can't give the ball to Hardman anymore. I mean, in the Bills game, he fumbled yeah, both times yeah, and touched you it. You almost, yep, yep. you can't even, almost can't even give it to him anymore. That's, it's, you know what though? I think, and I was like this with Brady, and I'm sure a lot of people are like this. And this is very anti-analytic, so forgive me. But I think I've gotten to a point where, if I'm going to lose my money, it's not going to be because I bet. And I, I understand you know, that a lot of people yeah. feel. You know, I feel like if I if I got to go down and I got to lose those bucks that I earned, it's going to have also, to be. Also, I don't know if, you, you, know. you know, but I've heard the, the whole thing is being arranged by the FBI. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So they <laughs> apparently they they got the Ravens to lose. They're big. And they made big. Chief they sense. made uh, yeah. they made Bass go wide right uh, uh, in order to help. They used their magic uh, right. wave uh, field goal wave uh, discriminator. Uh, device to make Tyler Bass go wide right, right. and, uh, and that Why do ball. people f- feel this way? It's politics, man. That's, who knows? Is it? I mean, I know. Are, do you do you not know the answer to this? No, I don't. I don't know. Oh, I have... oh, no, because um, it's a conspiracy for Kansas City to win the Super Bowl so that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey can come on the field and uh, endorse Joe Biden. Won't they endorse so him anyway? Joe, so that Joe Biden can start World War Three. It's got to be a very, very small amount of people who think this, right? Journey out there into the world of Twitter, my friend. <laughs> I, I it think is not. It is not a small amount of people who believe this. <laughs> well, inherently, Twitter is a small amount of people on its own. Right? And, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Journey into the world of talk radio, I guess, and you'll find that there's a number of people who believe this. Yeah, there's a number of people who believe that the entire NFL season is being right. There's a script uh, or something, right? Is being scripted, but but specifically by the FBI. Okay, I do think the idea of the NFL is scripted is non-political, though. No, no. The idea yes. that the NFL wants the most interesting. But see, my argument is if the NFL was scripted, um, they know everyone's kind of sick of the Chiefs. They'd have someone else with. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the, the... If the NFL was scripted, the Detroit would have beat San Francisco because that's the best story is for Detroit to win it all. That would have been the best story. So if the NFL was scripted in a non-political way, it would have been Detroit. Detroit would have won everything. Would have won everything. I guess what I mean, though, is People of both political parties are convinced sports is fixed. 
Oh, I agree completely. You know, that's true. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, li- I, li- I live in Buffalo. and the state- I'm just saying that if, if it is fixed, I don't think the NFL did the best job. of No, uh, and that's money. always my argument, right? Like, yeah. they're horrible fixers in general in sports. Like, the Sabres were in a lottery to get Connor McDavid. I don't know if you're a hockey guy, but you know who Connor McDavid is, right? Yep, yep. And the Sabres were the statistically the most likely team to win that lottery. Now, they were still 74% not to win it. You know, they had the best odds, but that was 26% to win and 74 not to win. And once we didn't win, right, and he went to Edmonton, you had all this chatter around town about how it was fixed and Batman because we boo him from no goal in 99. He hates us. Wasn't going to let us get McDavid. It's like, look at if he really wants to fix it. He isn't sending the guy to Edmonton, Ontario. You know what I mean? He's right. going to be in Manhattan or L.A. or yep. Chicago. You know what I mean? Like, come on. You know, yes. yeah, yeah. No, if he fixed it and he sent him to Edmonton, he's a bigger idiot than I thought, right? You know what I mean? Like, yes. Come on. Uh, how are you? How have you? How are you post everything that happened in the summer? How was your year? Oh, it's good. How it's are you personally? Good. Yeah, I'm doing well. FTN's been a good relationship. They're sending me to the Super Bowl, so you know I'm going to be the first person to officially represent FTN at the Super Bowl. So that's kind of nice. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's been a good year. I think most of the readers have fallen us, uh, followed us over. We're getting a good amount of subscriptions, and I think everything's been really positive. So you have landed well, in other words. Yep. Looks like it's all uh, full speed ahead for another Almanac this year, and, uh, and we're doing well. Well, that warms my heart, and I have no problem with you coming on here and telling me I'm an idiot. I'm open to being an idiot. And uh, you, were, like I said, you're the first person I thought of. I want to... I wanted you to explain it to me like I was five, and you did. I still think he was wrong, especially I think you need to go up 17. I, three scores in 16 minutes after they've only scored one touchdown and one field goal yeah, the whole time. Yeah, I buy the argument. I, I, I certainly know. buy that argument. Yeah, I just I don't think it's that analytics. I thought I think he really did decide with this. You know, his gut is influenced by analytics, but he's also like, He's been winning games with them all year by being aggressive. He was going to just keep going with what he was doing. Yep, and that's fair. That is fair. He, he, you know, I like him. I do like him. I hope it doesn't uh, come I love, off. I love Dan Campbell. Yeah. I love it. I love, I love the mixture of being pro-analytics with wanting to kick your ass. And everybody wanted to hate him. Like that first press conference, remember? It was like a yeah. little goofy. Everyone thought he was just silly. Yeah, he was, it was some of the, the way he was expressing himself in the moment was maybe a little silly. Like you could, and everyone wanted to hate him, you know. But like, I think he's a great head coach. He's great. He's a great head coach. Yeah, and I was devastated they didn't win. You know, I wanted him. Who was if unless you're a Forty ers fan, you were rooting for Detroit. You're you're sadistic. I think you know what I mean. Or if you're like <laughs> if you're like a Bears, you know, and you're in the they're your rival or something, that's fine too. But well, I was more upset about the Ravens. Uh, I've been ri- I've been driving the Ravens you have, bandwagon. I know. I've been, yeah. Driving the Ravens bandwagon all year, and um, I know this is a weird thing for a Patriots fan to say because Lord knows we got enough success. But I feel like uh, you know Kansas City's had enough success already. Like let someone else have a turn. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's like, let Bal- thing. Let Baltimore, let Baltimore, Buffalo, or someone have a turn, right? And like, I, so I, I was more rooting for Baltimore uh, than I was for uh, for Detroit because as much as Detroit would be a great story, the 49ers have not won a title in thirty years. Right, the Steve Young one was the last one, right? Steve Young against yeah, the, yeah, the Chargers. Was the Chargers. I mean, yeah, those those fans have won NBA titles and those fans have won World Serieses, but the NFL team has not won a title in twenty nine seasons. So you know what? As much as it's not quite as good a story as Detroit winning it for the first time, 
it would be a nice it would be nice for them to get a title. That's fair. I didn't even think of that to be honest. I'll definitely be rooting for them over the Chiefs. There's no doubt about that. And not because I don't like Tyler Swift cutaways or anything like that. Right. Like I'm just I have just general Chiefs exhaustion. You know. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just you know those fans got have gotten to celebrate yeah. the forty nine the forty niners fans. You know, unless they're fans of other sports, if they're just fans of the forty ers they haven't gotten to celebrate. Right. You know, in in recent years, so. Let's let let's let them have one. Would you like to put some plugs out? Uh, you know, we're going to have content at FTN all uh, off season. We already have up player projections for 2024. If you're a subscriber to FTNFantasy.com, and we'll have uh, dynasty write ups and all kinds of stuff, and I'll have content on the DPOA page, and uh, and then we're going to do another book. So there'll be another FTN football almanac in uh, July. It's going to be coming out earlier this year than last year. That's for sure. Can't wait. I love the Almanac. You're kind enough to send me one every year. This is a little plug for it. For the last three seasons, I'm in one of these wins pools. You know, it's a draft and you got to pick a team. For the last three seasons, I've taken myself out of the draft. And I just picked the team with the highest win total in the Almanac that's available. Right? So when I if I go fifth... I look okay. This is a, his third team. They're available. I pick them. I don't. Could we good do do well for you? I've won two or three. Awesome. So I can't say more about how. In, you know, <laughs> we, we keep projecting Dallas to have good regular seasons, so and they keep having them. And you know, and was, they keep having them. You know, it's huge. They just can't win in the playoffs. You know, the huge one this year was the Giants and avoiding the Giants. I passed yep, yep. the Giants. Everyone was like, "Why wouldn't you pick the Giants there?" I'm like, "I'm just out on the Giants." I didn't tell. I'm not yep. telling them my secret. Although I guess I just did, but um, I was like, I'm just out on the Giants, and uh, I don't remember who I. I think I might have got Baltimore instead, to be honest. Um, and that was the difference this year is just staying away from them. So sometimes it works that way too, you know. Yeah, there yeah. really isn't a clear team for next year that's like that. By the way, that's interesting. We there's know there's no, going to be six new teams in the playoffs. There always is, right? There's no clear team next year that DVOA said was not as good as its record. The closest is the Eagles, but everybody knows that now. Right, right, right. And the closest the other way would be the Chargers, but people are going to be high on them because of Harbaugh. They don't need me to tell them anything. Sure. So there's no clear, there's nothing like last year's Giants and Vikings where you're like, stay away, stay away, stay away. There's nothing like that for next year. And you are all over both. Listen, you're my guy. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Um, This was great. I enjoyed it. Um, like All I right. said, no, no problem being wrong or disagreeing or anything like that. Uh, I'm not. I was never coming on here to say I was right or anything like that. Just, um, I just have fun. to defend yeah. my, my no, and, and, that's, and look at that's why I, I called you because I, yeah. I knew you would passionately tell me I was an idiot, and I was, I was up <laughs> for that. So, <laughs> thank you. All right, All right. thank you. Talk to you later.
All right, I want to thank Aaron Schatz for being on the show today. Love that guy, really do. Love his work. Appreciate him coming on to talk about analytics in this crazy time for the ever-evolving way of making decisions in the National Football League. Wanted to give a quick book club update because it is the start of another year. I already have three books on my desk. Uh, but the releases, uh, it seems like there's not a lot of releases in January, February, as probably so many books came out in the Christmas time. Uh, we'll wait till the spring here. And uh, the first book is a holdover from last year called Charlie Hustle, The Rise and Fall of Pete Rose and the Last Glory Days of Baseball by Keith O'Brien. Um, and we'll have Keith on the program uh, shortly when this book is it comes out in March. Uh, as we get closer to that, I'm sure he will be on. Uh, and then two more in a similar, uh, you know, a similar vein. Kingdom on Fire, Kareem Wooden Walton and the Turbulent Days of the UCLA Basketball Dynasty by Scott Howard Cooper. This comes out on March 5th. Uh, so we'll ha- I think I already have that scheduled. Uh, Scott has covered professional and college sports since the 80s, including the Los Angeles Times, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN and more. Uh, he's never been on, neither has uh, Keith, so look forward to a few debuts there. And then the third sort of one of these March releases that I already have is a book called The New York Game, Baseball and the Rise of a New City. Uh, and it's by Kevin Baker. Uh, and it's also going to be released uh, sometime in March, and we'll have Kevin on to talk about that. And then ba- the books will heat up. Uh, so we'll get through these three. In the next couple of weeks here, and then as we get through those in March, uh, then we're going to have some big release. We get ready for the big releases in 2024. Uh, so that's where we stand right now uh, with the books. We'll read those three, and hopefully we have a great year. You know, hopefully the book club has a great year. Joe Piznanski has a new book at some point this year. You know, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch in with him. We always do uh, when he releases a book. Uh, I'm sure we'll discover uh, some new guests. Um, you know, people that haven't been on before that we fall in love with having on and hopefully will join us uh, after being on the book, uh, on the book club. They'll, they'll come more. Uh, but, you know, a uh, big, big, hopefully a big year, big, great year coming and uh, looking forward to, to the book club as I always do. Let's see what's coming soon here. Um, let's see what's what kind of big releases we got lined up. I'm looking on it. Apple Books. Like I said, the Joe Piznanski book. That's not till the fall, though. Uh, that's September. Uh, we'll have him. Um, who else has got a book coming out? Oh, Becky Lynch has a book coming out from wrestling. I wouldn't mind maybe tracking her down, possibly. Big Pearl Jam fan. Jim Ross has another book coming out, speaking of wrestling, if we wanted to go that way. Um, there's a Grant Walsh tr- uh, tribute book coming out. Um, a lot of baseball stuff. My Day with the Cup by Jim Lang, I thought sounded kind of interesting. Uh, maybe we track him down uh, for that. Um, and I'm sure many other books to be announced. But that's where we stand uh, with the book club, the three I mentioned here today. Uh, and we'll go forward uh, with that. All right. Quickly, we'll take a break. We'll come back uh, with Lane Hudson, uh, who is uh, a star hockey player at BU, Boston University. Shout out to Peter Winson, Howard Stern, Shane McMahon. Um, Peter Winson uh, will love this one, and so, so will you. A young kid 
Uh, just won the World Junior Championship gold medal. He's got a great future. Going to be one of the great hockey players to ever appear on this podcast, I promise you. Uh, he's going to have a great NHL career. Looking forward to that. And he knows he's worked with Anthony, my brother. We talk about him a little bit. Uh, he starts a little stiff, but we loosen him up and uh, gets pretty conversational. But it's a fun thing with Lane. We'll do that next. And then when we come back from that, uh, we will we'll talk about the um, one last thing and do plugs. And we'll be out of here. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with Lane Hudson. Brown, Brown far side, up top, Lane Hudson. Fires the shot, he scores! The Hockey East Rookie of the Year makes BU Hockey East champs! Our next guest is from Illinois. Uh, just won a gold medal with Team USA at the World Junior Championship and was the Hockey East Rookie of the Year last year, a Hobie Baker finalist, a Frozen Four participant, and uh, a brother in one of the great USA hockey families in the country right now. A warm sportscasters welcome to Lane Hudson. Hey, Lane, what's up, buddy? How you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Really good. How's Boston? Uh, it's it's great. Uh, you know, Cold. But it's it's great. You live on campus or off campus or? I live on campus. On campus, and you did yeah. last year as well, right? Yeah. Obviously, you have a roommate on the team or not on the team? Yeah, on the team. On the uh, team. Yeah, my roommate's Devin Kaplan. Okay. How many do you have friends that aren't on the team? Are you mostly? Are you guys mostly together all the time? Uh, yeah. It's just the team yeah you know it's, it's hard to make friends you know obviously there's some nice students here but uh, i'm always with the team yeah do you have other teams that are like when anthony was at yale they're good friends with the lacrosse guys you like have a team like that uh not too much i think you know all the teams are pretty close in a way but uh you know it's just kind of our team and that's that's all what about the city do you spend any time in the city like, uh yeah for you know just outside of hockey like do you ever just go find some clam chowder or something or i don't know whatever you do in boston yeah during the spring it gets really nice out so uh you know there's some festivals and all that stuff so you know our guys get out there and uh you know it's really nice have you been to fenway yeah yeah what's better fenway or wrigley uh I like Wrigley, but uh, <laughs> Fenway's really cool. You, you got to say Wrigley, right? It's kind of like a, yeah. a birth law to say. Have you been to any Bruins games? Yeah, I've been to quite a few. I think three or four. So Nice. Uh, uh, it's pretty cool going there. And then, obviously, we play games there for the Bean Pot. So. Right. And that's coming up. Yeah. You looking forward to the Bean Pot? Yeah. Really excited. I think... Uh, you know, our guys are really excited, and it's always fun when uh, you know, it's a sold-out crowd. Yeah, and it's a BCBU round one year, too, so even bigger in a way, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll get to that stuff in a second. Before we get too far away, I asked you about if you've been to Bruins games. When you were growing up in uh, Chicago, did you go to any sweet, like, Kaner and Taves playoff games or anything like that or any sweet 
Blackhawk games in the um, United Center? Yeah, uh, quite a few actually. I I made it out to uh, uh, I think it was 2015. They were playing the Anaheim Ducks, and uh, you know Kaner just the way he takes over games is so fun. And I, I remember him scoring a pretty big goal. And uh, I mean the way Jonathan Taze plays, it's it's really fun to watch too. I was I used to work at a hockey rink when I was a you know a teenager in Buffalo and. Um, Kane was like a squirt or a peewee at the time. And when he would come in the rink, <laughs> and this is he's 10, 11 years old, maybe 12 even, but before he went to Detroit, obviously, um, he would come in the rink and th- everyone knew he was there in five minutes. Like everyone in the rink, like Pat Kane's here, Pat Kane's here. He would, he played on his travel team and then he also played on a house league team and he would just play defense and skate. He, he wasn't a lot. His dad wouldn't let him shoot. He just skated and passed and just, I guess, just for the ice time. And you would see him come in the rink and he'd have all his gear on from the last thing and, um, you know, just put his skates on and be out there. And already at 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever, everybody knew in the rink he was there and people would crowd around the glass and watch him and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I think. It's pretty special that, you know, that's him as a younger guy when he was, you know, little. But, you know, now you see his excitement for the game is still there. The Buffalo thing is, though, he went to um, Detroit to live with Pat Verbeek. I think it was Verbeek. Yeah. 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 And um, he in the national finals, he lost to his Buffalo team. So kind of a crazy thing. Like, yeah crazy yeah everyone thought when he left that team was never you know had didn't have a chance at nationals anymore and then they beat him but you used to always play up right one two years up sometimes even yeah and what do you think about playing up i think it's you know important for you know guys to play at the skill level uh you know they should be at or the age they should be at i think you know no matter what age you are if you fit in with the older guys play with the older guys if you know, if you're better off at your own age, uh, play at your own age. But, you know, that's something my dad really, you know, stressed to me is just, you know, you play with the older guys, but you got to get, you know, you got to let, uh, get the older guys the puck so they like playing with you because you don't want to be the younger guy that doesn't get them the puck. Right. It was, did you, you said fit in with the guys on the ice, of course, but how did you do off the ice? Did you ever? Did you feel younger, or did you feel like you could fit in, or is did, is that almost a skill you had to um, develop to be able to fit in with older people and be around older people like that? I know it's like a couple of years, but that can be a yeah. lot when you're eight or nine, eleven. That's a big difference sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I was probably maybe nine years old, ten years old, playing with you know eleven, twelve, thirteen year olds, and uh, I just. You know, obviously, I, I felt younger, and, uh, you know, in a way, I felt like everyone's a little brother. So it was, uh, you know, off the ice, felt just younger. But on the ice, uh, you know, I feel like everyone was the same age. So it was pretty cool. Did you think it was an advantage? And maybe if I was talking to Cole, he would say an even bigger advantage being second. You know, was Quinn out there? Was your dad and Quinn kind of figuring stuff out? And then by the time Lane gets to that point, it's like, okay, we know not to do this or we should do that. And then I'm sure even for Cole, it's like, well, Lane and 
Quinn did this, so I should do that. And maybe we even say Lars now is it's perfected. But did you get did you feel that advantage then? Yeah, the, uh, not not at the time, but now I look back and I uh, you know I realized you know I realized what went right for Quinn and uh, you know how much it helped me you know being able to practice with Quinn's teams and you know seeing what he does and just you know following in his footsteps and. Uh, you know, learning from, you know, what didn't work out. So I think it was uh, the ideal situation for me. Obviously, my younger brother was a great hockey player, but he was 11 years younger than me. And when I was playing, you know, when I was a senior in high school, he was still running around the rink with a mini stick, you know, and hanging out in the locker room with me. He was five, you know, years old, six years old. Um and we would play, me and my brothers, we'd play mini sticks. We'd play in the street, things like that. But we were, the ages were so different. What was it like being in a hockey family with brothers? You're, you're not exactly the same age, but you and Quinn are close enough. Cole's behind, but not that far. What was it like to battle with those guys and, and have them as like peers too in terms of skill and talent? And do you think it helped growing up in a family of brothers like that? You're all pushing each other and competing and probably everything you do, not just hockey, right? Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a great household to be a part of. I think, you know, a lot of great memories of, you know, beating my brothers and lots of of not so great ones, uh, where, uh, everyone ends up fighting. (laughs) Someone cries and then it's over. Who was the crier? Who would cry first? Uh, uh, I honestly, it would change. I, okay. I think we, as <laughs> we got older, probably, we, yeah. Yeah. We all kind of grew out of the crying and it was more of, we need to fight. And, okay. uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, we're all two years apart. So the teams were pretty equal. It'd be, uh, my oldest brother Quinn with Lars and me and Cole, and then we'd jumble them up at times. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, always, always a battle and yeah. Uh, anytime someone won, someone uh, had to fight because <laughs> someone lost. Me and my, it was always me versus you know my other brothers because they were younger and I was the oldest. And my brother Greg was the crier. Shout out to my brother Greg, but he, he'd always get hit in the face or something, or you know somehow he'd be in front of the net and I'd take a shot from you know six cars back and it hit seven things and somehow always find his face. <laughs> and Anthony was like, I think five years younger than him would be. We'd be looking at each other like, uh, oh, we're in trouble now. Greg's crying again, but <laughs> it's probably not. I'm probably putting him on blast here. He's he's a good man. I don't mean to do that to him, but when we, when we were kids, he was always the crier. Made me think of that. Um, <laughs> you're playing with uh, Quinn now, and I asked your dad, you know, had you guys played together much growing up? And he said, not really. What's it like? having a chance to play with your brother and, you know, and, and, you know, it's two years, you know, two years now you guys probably settle into a bit of a routine being together every day and, and doing this together. What's it been like? Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously he's my brother and, uh, you know, away from the rink, we're always going to be brothers, but at the rink, you know, he's my teammate and, uh, you know, we kind of go about our business, but we're also always there for each other. So it's, uh, it's pretty special having him here and, you know, it's pretty special because, uh, you know, I know what he likes to do on the ice. He knows what I like to do. And, you know, it's always fun when we can connect on, you know, scoring some goals. 
are you aware of each other's like as things are going and the season's going and do you ever do you know consciously like oh Quinn hasn't got one in a couple games like we I he you know I feel bad or you're out there you're watching him he, you're on the bench and he's and you you feel even more like come on you know bury that come on buddy you know what I mean like do you have that kind of brother connection when it comes to each other's goals and how things are going are you aware of that or do you kind of just like you said when it gets to the games he's just sort of another teammate not a negative way but it just sort of he becomes just one of the boys like you all are out there yeah uh you know honestly i i do think about it i subconsciously you know i want to get you know good players the puck and he's a good player but you know that's like anyone you know when i see someone who squeezing the stick a little hard you obviously want to get him the puck and you know get him out of our rut but you know that that goes the same for me like sure you know, guys guys are always helping me i help them but uh you know i think me and quinn always end up finding each other anyways so it's it's always fun there was this rumor going around buffalo last year and again i don't know this is fact but pretty decently substantiated rumor that Darlene was going bad he was having some bad games and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with Darlene. And it was that middle stat was getting dragged in the media. And that's like his best friend on the team. And he like felt so bad for middle stat that it was like it creeped into his own game. You know what I mean? That I guess he's like like that. You know, he's got a heart like that. He felt bad. Now, that's a rumor. I don't know that for sure. Um, you know, so if Darlene wants to call me and clear that up, he can. But, um, <laughs> you know, that was something going on. So that I guess that's where I was coming from, you know, when I was asking you. Cause you're not just best friends. You're, you know, legitimately brothers like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, you know, when things aren't going well for either of us, you know, we definitely, I feel like one of us elevates, you know, whether I'm, I'm not playing, you know, my best game and, or, you know, I had a bad weekend. I think he finds a way to elevate and make himself better and kind of helps me and you know, vice versa. Whenever he's kind of struggling, I feel like I can, hopefully find a way to elevate who's harder on themselves. Uh, I think, you know, we're both not equally as hard, but I think if I had to say one, I think I'm harder on myself, but I know he's pretty, pretty hard on himself too. Cause I got to think like, you know, one, I, you would know better than me, but I think one of the great advantages, it has to be that you're there to check each other. You know what I mean? And help each other with mental health and things like that off the ice, which have become so important the last few years or talked about more certainly than they ever have been before. And that's got to be a huge advantage, I would think. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one thing about the game and, you know, playing a competitive sport is it could get mentally tiring. But, you know, when you always have someone there that you can talk to, it's uh, it's always nice, you know, and that goes for all my teammates. I think, you know, we have an environment where we're all there for each other. And, uh, you know, I think when you put it into perspective, it, it is just a game and, you know, you got to realize that there's bigger things in the world, but, uh, you know, people look a lot into it. When I was talking, I was talking to your dad a little bit, shout out to the, to the legend, Rob Hudson, um, trying to get some, you know, cause I, I, I knew, you know, development program on, what I needed to, but I didn't know much about you before that. And, you know, one theme that he would always bring up is, well, we did this, but it was for development. You know, we, we wanted the development, the development. And, and I get that, you know what I mean? That, and that makes sense, but you're still a competitor. And, and as a player, you want to develop, but I'm sure you wanted to win, right? Like, what was it like 
being on on the different teams as you were growing up, do you remember one team or another where the team reached their goals as a team and and you're really proud of that? I know you guys were robbed in 2020. Anthony's real adamant about this, that you guys would have won it all if it didn't get shut down for COVID, that Avalanche team. But do you remember a team that you feel like, you know, man, that was such a great experience because of the results, because of the hockey, not necessarily the development? So I feel like talking to you, I might be able to get a better sense of that than your dad because your dad was always just about development, but you're the player, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I think about is I want to continue to develop my game, and I know, you know, any team I play on, it's going to be about development, but, you know, developing doesn't necessarily that you're not playing to win. And Right. Yeah. I've been fortunate to be a part of some pretty special teams. And, you know, I remember being younger playing youth hockey for uh, the Chicago Young Americans and being part of a pretty good old four group there and, you know, winning lots of tournaments when I'm, you know, 10, 10, 11 years old and then going up the ranks and, you know, changing teams, playing for Team Illinois and uh, Detroit Honeybaked and, you know, being a part of, you know, two, two special teams too. And then, uh, obviously I went to, um, North Jersey and we had a really special group. We, uh, we won, uh, the Northeast pack. So that team was a really good team, but, you know, I think I was really fortunate in my youth hockey playing for, you know, teams that were obviously really strict on developing, but also, you know, winning a lot too. Did you win a States or a, a play the nationals or anything like that in, in AAA? Yeah. Uh, I think, in Chicago, I won state uh, three times. Oh, wow. Yeah, so my first two years with the Chicago Young Americans, we won state. And then my fourth year in Chicago uh, with Team Illinois, we won state. And then uh, Honey Baked, we didn't win state, but we went to nationals. Went to nationals anyway, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously U16 year, I'd like to think – we would have been in a good spot to win nationals, but sure. you know, in those in those one game shots, you never know. Right, Anthony's adamant. You, 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 next time you're talking to him, you can compare state. You, you, you changed levels a lot. Probably gave you a chance to play in more. Like you probably stayed in the major year more. He just pretty much went straight up through, and he lost three state finals by four total goals. You know, so uh, Anthony did. Yeah, that's. Yeah. That's rough. The one in uh, double overtime, um, and the goal scorer. Listen to this: the goal scorer in the double overtime state final game went on to be a to murder his girlfriend in college. Jeez, yeah, it's crazy. The most outrageous story, right? Like, who knows what happened there? But obviously tragic. And then his bantamir, Jeremy Morin was this kid who had a nickname already. Yeah, yeah he's called the Jet. And uh, he was on the um, the Syracuse team. They lost to them one nothing, and Morin scored the goal on a penalty shot. And then his last ever AAA game, he lost 5-4, to four, had two goals and two assists, and almost won it on his own. Huh. And uh, he had a breakaway in the third to tie it and it got stopped and uh almost tied at the end but like he <laughs> until the national championship nobody has more second place than him so 
what 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 age group was uh the last one was uh i guess was under u18 i guess because it was what with, a, it was with saint francis but were the other ones uh u13 and u14 the other one you sick uh bantam so what's that 14 right yeah 14 and then before that peewee so u12 i guess oh that's for that's pretty cool yeah so <laughs> And some amazing games and amazing things along the way. Your dad was telling me about a game. Shoot, I should have wrote this down right. Anthony had a day. We were comparing them. Anthony had a day at prep, the Nichols-Belmont Hill tournament, where he beat the Gunnery and Belmont Hill in the same day. And your dad was telling me about a day that you had similar to that, where you guys had two or three stacked up against each other and you just crushed the day. I should have wrote it down because now I forget yeah. the exact. Oh, if I had to guess, what yeah. is he's talking about a youth hockey experience? Yes, we were. Yep. Yeah, I think well, it was back to back years with my CYA team, so I I think it was Squirt Major and Pee Wee Minor teams. So I think that's like U eleven, U twelve. But back to back years, we went to the Toronto Marlies Friendship Tournament, and our first year. You know, we played the best three teams in the quarters, semis, finals, all on the same day. So we played uh, the Toronto Marlies, and then we played the Toronto Junior Canadians, and then we played the Don Mills Flyers. And uh, I just remember, you know, beating them by quite a bit and scoring a lot of goals. And yep, that's it. Yeah, uh, you got you nailed it. Just uh, having a lot of fun, and then the second year, similar, similar uh, turn. Well, it was the same tournament, but. The teams were just uh, flipped around, so it was. We played the Don Mills Flyers, uh, then we played the Toronto Junior Canadians, and then the Marlies in the finals. So, but it was uh, it was pretty cool that it was back to back years. You know, as being someone who spent a lot of time in someone's inner circle like that, like as the player, I don't think you can understand how much joy it brings. Days like like days like that bring your inner circle. You know what I mean? Like your dad, your mom, like whoever those people are. Like days like that are so special that well like i'll talk about that last state final game my entire life to people you know because it was just so crazy like they were definitely the underdogs and you know a state final you'll be able to relate to this lane aunts and uncle like people come that don't normally come right yeah like mom and dad get on the phone and like hey it's a state final you got to come and it was in buffalo right so it was at pepsi center in buffalo where a lot of big tournaments are i'm sure you've played there over the years yeah, definitely. Yeah, and um, it was on the one rink, and it was packed, and they were definitely the underdog. And he, when I was growing up, Mogilny had his 76-goal season in Buffalo, right? And I remember going to games that year, and Mogilny would touch the puck, and there'd be a buzz in the arena. And it was like it that day, every time Anthony touched the puck. <laughs> he scored this one goal, chased the goalie. Like, the goalie got switched, like... And you don't, and I only bring that up one because you know him. So, and I'm sure he hasn't told you these stories. Um, and two because uh, I'm, I, it's helping. I feel like jog some stuff out of your memory. But yeah, man, no, yeah, I, I remember. You know, so many. Like I remember every state finals game because we would play a best of three, and I just, you know, it's always great memories. But I just remember how how serious it was at the time, and then looking back. You know, obviously after winning it, but you realize it's not the end of the world if you uh, don't don't win those. But 
uh, you know, obviously I'm happy I was uh, on the winning side. Yeah, like that's a good point. Like for Anthony, every great thing really that happened to him in hockey happened after that. Um, that state finals. That was the start, not the end for him, which was a lucky thing. But if that would have been the end for some reason, it would have been a hell of a way to go out. So I still say yeah. it was his best game ever. He says it was the um, North Dakota, the uh, national semi, the the game to go to the Frozen Four against North Dakota. But okay, fine, bigger stakes, but still there was, <laughs> there was something special that day. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about USA hockey a little bit. Um, you got to go to. Um, the development program. I think uh, the national team development program is the best place in the world to be if you're a 16, 17-year-old hockey player. And I think that our record at the World Juniors, and we'll talk about that obviously, proves it, right? I mean, since 2013, no country in the world has won more. Same as Canada, five, but whatever. No one's won more. And I just think that the way we're developing players right now is the envy of the world. And I think no other time has USA Hockey been... Like, if we have a best-on-best best tournament right now, Canada might still be the favorite, just barely, but never has the gap been as small as it is right now. And I think that's specifically because of the National Development Program and the things that we're doing with 13, 14, 15, 16-year hockey players. You were in the middle of it. What do you think? What makes it so special? Um, what was your experience like? Why do you think... What do you think we've tapped into that spawned the success and um, has led to the development where, like, go ahead, try to pick four centers for the U- U.S. Olympic hockey team right now. Go ahead, try. Which four are you going to pick? Well, what four would I pick? <laughs> well, I'm, 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 that's more rhetorical, but I'm saying, like, look at, like, wow, we got yeah. to a point right now where you can't, you almost can't decide who they are, right? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many. Yeah. So you were there. You have a better view of it than I've ever had. What makes it so special? Yeah, I think, you know, it was two of the best years of development, you know, that I've ever had. You know, it's, I'll, I'll never get that same feeling, uh, you know, that I had there anywhere else. And, you know, it was really hard. And it's, it's, it's hard on, you know, everyone there because you're so young and you're doing so much and you have so much to worry about. But. I think, you know, with the structure there, how everyone, all the, all the people there who coach or help out, uh, they're always, you know, looking, uh, looking out for the guys there and, you know, hoping out for the, helping out with the best outcomes and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, just being pushed that hard every day was something that I'll never forget. And, you know, something that, I'll never experience again, but it was something that, you know, really helps my game and helped me as a person too. So I just think it's the ideal situation for 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds. I think, uh, you know, they're doing a great job and if I could do it all over again, I would. And you get to, you know, play in the USHL at a young age, you get to you travel the world, play in huge tournaments, you know, wear the USA shirt, you know, learn the we're playing for the the name on the front, not the name at the back. You know, that Herb Brooks mentality you get to ingrained in you as a youngster. You know what I mean? And, you know, you get to be in enormous moments like you were in in, in Sweden over the winter. Like, talk a little bit about the World Juniors. Obviously, you know, a huge tournament for you. Um, 
a huge tournament for USA. Uh, we needed that one, I felt like, a little bit. You know, Russia's not there. Um, so I feel like, you know, that's one less rival in a way. So let's take care of business even more. Um, but tell me a little bit about Sweden and really a great, one of the great, obviously, U.S. junior teams of all time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was pretty special after my time at the U.S. National Team Development Program. You know, two years, my U-17 year, uh, everything's geared towards the U-18 World Tournament and, yep. you know, winning gold medals at that tournament, which, you know, we've done a great job of in the past. And, you know, the history speaks for itself of that tournament and, you know, the amount of gold medals we have there. But And you scored uh, a shootout there, right, if I recall? Uh, that was my U-17 year. That was U-17 up year. Okay. Yeah, I, I played up with the O three 3 team, and uh, we, didn't, we didn't have such a great team, but... Um, my, my second year, so our U18 year, you know, everything's geared towards that tournament. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to find a way to finish it. And in a way that was the be probably one of the better things that happened to that team, because I don't think we would have had, you know, the confidence and the swagger we had going into world juniors, you know, which was years later, it was two years later. So, uh, having that group of guys, you know, the 2004 age group mixed with uh, some really good 2005 birth year kids was, you know, the perfect combination. And, you know, we had great coaching, great staff. So uh, we had all the pieces to do what we did. And, uh, you know, luckily we got it done. There, I, you know, obviously I, I don't know you, we haven't met yet personally, but, um, you know, I know a lot about you and I talked to Anthony a lot about you. I know your dad, I know your brother. I've at least met them personally. Um, so I'm following you sort of from a different view than all the other players there. And it was an interesting tournament for you because if you just look at a stat line, you might say, oh, Lane didn't have the tournament he wanted to have. But And I really believe this, um, that you had a better tournament than I thought you could have because we didn't have the, as a team, the way the team was constructed, we didn't necessarily need Lane Hudson to have a, a point tournament. We needed him to show the other side of his game, maybe a part of your game that people may have doubted and you came, you came up. I mean, in, in better than I could have imagined. You know, playing half a period in some of the bigger games. You know, like being responsible on the back end. You know, shutting down some of the in some of the bigger games in some of the bigger moments. Penalty kills. You know, I think you did more for yourself in terms of the outlook of you as a prospect by scoring less than you would have done, even if you would have had you know, six goals and four assists, and then not had the defensive tournament you had. Agree, disagree, what do you think about your overall play and what it says about you as a prospect? Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, everyone's always going to question my defending abilities, and, you know, I to them, I guess they could, you know, think whatever they want, have whatever opinions, but uh, for myself at that tournament, I knew... Uh, I was going to be needed in a different way. And, you know, if they needed me to score points, uh, you know, I'd be happy to help, you know, any way I can. But for me, I was willing to sacrifice any offense to help the team win. And, you know, no one's going to remember the guy that had, you know, 12 points, six goals, six assists, and, uh, you know, didn't medal or got a silver. But they're going to remember the, the team that came together and, you know, found a way and, you know, who was on that team and, you know, what they did for the team. Now, you did assist on the biggest goal of the tournament, though. 
So it's not like you weren't doing anything on the on the uh, you know in that that the game winning goal in the Finland game. I mean, you slide that one over to uh, to Cutter right for the the wrist shot there. Uh, what do you, yeah, yeah. What do you remember about that play? Yeah, I remember just you know I I honestly didn't think I was gonna get him the puck. I thought I was gonna get it over to Isaac Howard and. Uh, their their penalty kill climbed up too high, so I looked at Isaac Howard, and then uh, shifted my shoulders, my hips back to Cutter, and you know he had lots of time, and uh, he's someone you don't want to give that much time to. Unbelievable! What's it like to uh, to be on the bench or on the ice wherever you were with the clock ticking down and knowing you're you're going to get a gold medal? Uh, just you know, a little bit of a relief. Fair. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily that it's. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you live for those moments, but, uh, you know, you just never want to lose in those situations. And unfortunately, I was on the receiving end of a tough loss my U eighteen year. So, yeah, sure. I know what it feels for the other team. And and last year just, in the in the tournament too, you know, different, but the yeah. same. Yeah. 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 But you know what it feels like in those situations. So, you know, for me, it was more about you know, just completing the job and, you know, being happy about it, but also realizing, you know, the guys on the other team battled so hard too. And, uh, you know, a credit to them, they played till the end. I got a couple insider questions for you here. Um, one, do you have an unedited version of Oh Mama, Don't You Cry on your phone to watch? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, you got to get, it's not as cool without the, the f-bomb in there you know i thought yeah there's like one on youtube without it it's like an 08 team or something yeah 2008 but what's it like when you finally get to get around get in the huddle and do that yeah uh aside from the celebrations on the ice uh you know that's what that's what you look forward to you know when it's all said and done and you know you're off the ice so pretty special moment and you know something i'll never forget um, you're, you're back to school, obviously, um, having a great season. It's been a great experience at BU. Uh, you committed early and your dad was saying he tried to get you to check out some schools, but you just knew you wanted to be at BU, uh, stuck with it. You're there. It's your second year. You came back. I think I'm sure everyone who's a BU fan, I know one, actually one of my good buddies is a BU grad and a big BU hockey fan and was thrilled when he heard the news you were coming back. Uh, but it's been two unbelievable seasons so far. I mean, the the story of this season has not been written yet. Uh, but uh, when you look back at, at last season and the run you guys had and uh, the chance to play in a national semifinal and uh, all that, what is uh, what is the experience like been at BU so far? Yeah, uh, it's been, you know, really special. I, I remember coming in and as a freshman and not really knowing, you know, what to expect, but you know, just knowing what the standards were and what we were going for and what the ultimate goal is, uh, and, you know, driving every day for it was, uh, you know, really special. And uh, on top of it, just being around the team so much and, you know, really caring about these guys was really cool. But, uh, you know, that's what's special about playing college hockey is you could, you control your destiny in a way because, with the work you get to put in in practice because we get to practice so much and uh you know it's not quite professional hockey but uh you get to develop so much because of how much you're practicing how much you're preparing and you know every game means so much more and then you get into that tournament and it's just a single elimination thing you know you don't 
You know, you guys got pushed by Cornell, you know, in that game. Um, that could have won either way. You know? Yeah. And then uh, you get to Minnesota, and who knows, you play that game. You play a best of seven, maybe you beat Minnesota in a best of seven. Who knows? Um, you know, but that night didn't go your way. Uh, we were Anthony and I were talking about this. It's a stacked field this year in NCAA. You know, I mean, Hockey East, you conference is you facing it every night. You know, between BC, BU, Maine is up. You know, we see North Northeastern is a decent side. You know, you have Quinnipiac is still decent. You have, you know, Denver wow. out west. I mean, it's a lo- it's a loaded turn. There's going to be a really good team, probably not in the tournament. You know what I mean? And then there's going to be a really good team or two, probably not in the Frozen Four. Um, what do you guys have to do going forward? Because I watched the two games last weekend against BC. And honestly, I thought they were pretty equal games in a lot of senses. I thought BC was just a little bit more clinical. You know, I felt like when they got a chance, they finished. And I thought that what that was maybe the difference last weekend. The first night, you guys are hitting the post every time. And the second night, you guys are hitting the glass every time. You know, and then... So what do you have to do, you think, in this crowded field? A lot of good teams. What what's the what's the rhetoric around the team right now and in practice? What do you guys have to do to to be the best of a crowded field this year? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think obviously that that was a great test for us playing BC and you know, I truly believe that, you know, both those games could have gone either way, but like Absolutely. You said, Absolutely they could have. Yep. They like you said, they capitalized on their chances and uh, you know, we gave them a little too much, but I think, you know, for us, we need to capitalize on those chances. You know, you, you only get so many chances in a game and, uh, you know, we didn't have a lack of chances in either of those games. So I think, you know, if we find a way to score some goals and score some big goals and, you know, the way we score goals, I mean, we got to find a lot of different ways to score goals. It can't just be, you know, a line rush every time, right? It can't be a power play goal. It's got to be, you know, uh, in zone shift, uh, you know, we wear a team down and we got to find a way to score, but, uh, you know, that's something we're still learning and something that, you know, we definitely want to solve here. And you guys are deep enough to do it. You know, you have scores on every line, you know, you certainly have the depth to, to do it every, every way possible. You know, it doesn't have to be, it's not like a team that's built around one top line or something. It's not that at all. So, and it's nice. You get to bounce, you know, tough weekend against BC, but here they are right again. You know, you think that's, uh, you think that's uh, is that better? You don't have to sit on those losses long. You get to go right back out and do it again with them instead of maybe having to wait to hockey East playoffs or something like that. Yeah, no, I think it's the ideal situation for us. Yeah, you know, it's fresh in our minds, and uh, you know, obviously, we want to show them that uh, you know those games, those we want to show everyone that those games truly could have gone either way, but. You know, until we do it, uh, you know, everyone thinks that BC has us. So we'll see what happens. But either way, it's going to be a great game. Yeah, it's almost it's almost better. Let them have the regular season wins, right? You'll take the bean pot and the playoffs and things like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> the sportscaster here with uh, Lane Hudson finishing up. He's got other things to do than listen to me jibber jabber about nothing all day. But a couple more, and I'll let you go. Um, I wanted to ask you about Longwood a little bit. And I don't want to get us in a position where you have to pay a fine or anything. <laughs> you know, I know. I don't want I don't want anyone getting fined. I mean, even the king got a fine, right? Yeah. Cole. Cole find the king. <laughs> <laughs> but uh what about Longwood and what happens there and how has that been a, helped you in your 
because like we'll go back to your dad right development 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 you're not just at longwood playing three on three all summer for the fun of it right it's the i i'm sure part of what you do there not only three on three but the things you do with anthony or anything you do in that building development is 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 part of it as well how has that helped you develop these last couple years and and what can you say about what goes on there and what makes it unique or special or whatever you think of it yeah uh obviously they got a really good thing going there during the summer uh you know they do some skill work with anthony and then you know you compete and the the compete uh the competition level never is lacking you know i think uh i come back after like i'll I'll go i'll go there for a couple of weeks and skate and you know one weekend i'll come out on top and you know find a way to win three on three and then the next week i'll be uh you know, fighting someone and, uh, or, you know, getting in someone's face because right. that's just how it is. But yeah. I, I think the setup and, you know, I, what they do there is pretty special. And, you know, I'm fortunate that, uh, you know, I, I haven't been uh, kicked out of there yet. <laughs> tell me a little bit more about the stuff you do with Anthony because I'm his brother. I'm curious and he don't tell me shit. What, uh, what tell me a little bit more about that and, and how has he helped you? I don't know. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, but. What kind of influence has he been? And and you had a brother who spends a year with him. And I wonder, you know, I know what your dad thinks. What do you guys think of Anthony? And, yeah. And, yeah. I think I could speak for, you know, both me and my brother, but, and well, my youngest brother too, Lars. Yeah. Yep. Too, but uh, I think I can speak for all of us and just say, you know, uh, Dazer did so much for all of us. Just, uh, you know, really opening our eyes to different views of the game. You know, you could whether you're on the ice with him or watching video, uh, you know, he always has his opinions, but he also understands that there's so many ways to see the game and to play the game. And, uh, you know, you, I could talk hockey with him. Uh, you know, if you didn't stop us, I could talk all day with him, but, uh, he's, you know, a really, really smart hockey mind and, uh, you know, really hard worker too. Like he loves being on the ice. He loves helping, uh, you know, develop guys' skills. I remember uh, after my U17 year, I wanted to, you know, go to New Jersey for a bit and skate with him and, you know, see, see what he's about. I didn't know him too well. And uh, I remember he, he was on the ice more than me. And, uh, you know, that doesn't happen often where, uh, you know, a coach uh, would, would want to be on the ice more. But, you know, he loves it and he's dedicated to it. And he's also dedicated to helping everyone else. He tells me, I think it's bullshit, but he tells me he thinks he's better at hockey now than he was a senior at Yale. I, said, I don't know about that. He's like, no, dude. It's like these kids run me. I'm, I, I'm, I'm. He thinks he's really good. So I think he's old. What do you think? I, I think he's pretty good. Obviously, I don't know. <laughs> you play on a great team, and you play at, you know, they had a really good team at Yale. But uh, when you play on a great team, your your role is different, and uh now he does the three on threes and his role is whatever he wants it to be so i think he uh he feels himself a little bit when he uh he decides to be a goal scorer (laughs) when he decides to be a playmaker you dangle him though right oh i i definitely yeah gotten a couple of times (laughs) but uh you know he's uh he's really smart he's got pretty good hands but you know, if, if this is better than college, I, I wonder how much the game has changed. <laughs> Fair. All right, last thing. We'll get out of here on this. So the NHL, right? 
it's it's over your it's behind it's it's lurking there somewhere right and your canadians prospect um i remember a cool speaking a long one i remember a cool video of them playing on draft day and the the draft is on in the room there and you get picked and everyone stops and cheers and a really cool moment hopefully you have that video it's really cool i know it exists because yeah. i've seen it um i've seen it as yeah. uh really- uh what 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 just basically like what do you what do you when someone says to you nhl like what do you what do you think right now like where do you where do you in the nhl stand what are your thoughts are you totally focused on college you don't think about it much uh are there nights where you're just laying there thinking wow in a year i might be you know i, I still call it molson center i know it has a different name now but it was the molson <laughs> center when it opened and i have a trouble <laughs> remembering what it's called now but um you, you still lay there maybe sometimes and think like wow i could be playing there in a year or two years whatever you know like wh- where do you stand there when we talk about nhl yeah uh obviously i've always dreamed about playing in the nhl and uh you know playing a long career there and winning stanley cups you know like any kid but i think for me right now i i just want to help myself any way I can to get there. And, you know, something here that's stressed at BEO, you know, whether you want to go on to play professional or you want to go and, uh, you know, get a normal job and work, uh, people want winners. And, you know, if you win where you're at, uh, people are going to want you. And, you know, that's something we're trying to build here at BU and something that I'm focused on is helping the team and win here any way I can. Uh, Cause you know, it only helps me. It only helps, you know, everyone on our team. So, but, uh, you know, if, if you would ask me if I wanted to play in the NHL right after the draft, I told my dad that I would be like saying, yeah, I'll play now. If I can play, I'll play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, obviously yeah. younger getting drafted was really special, but, you know, not knowing that, you know, there's so much work to do and so much that goes into it. But, uh, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, I would love to play, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, best case scenario, I think, is you guys play to the last minute, win the national championship. Montreal calls says, "Why don't you come play the last six games? You get to burn that first year of the ECL. You know, get a couple goals under your belt. Go to Longwood in the summer with the first NHL gold puck in your hockey bag." Um, and then go out and have a great NHL career. I mean, I think that's best case scenario. And listen to this. The worst case scenario is you're back at BU at next year for some reason. And I don't mean to use the word worst. Plan B, let's just say, uh, is you get to be with both of your brothers at BU, which would be, I think, a dream as well. I mean, you've never played with Cole, on a team with Cole before, right? Yeah, never played with Cole. So uh, I think it's the best one and best 1A. Sure. So. Yeah, the best are the best. And I think it's it's interchangeable. You know, you never know what can happen, but uh, either way, I'm excited, and you know, it's always good to have options. But uh, you know, it, I, I feel like what you said earlier, uh, having your first goal puck going along would be uh, would be too bad, know, right? Yeah, wouldn't be too bad at all. <laughs> um, like I said, you never know. What's the girl situation like down there? That be you? Yeah, I I got a girlfriend here, so oh, really? Yeah. Okay. First year, second year. Do you meet her right away? Maybe we are through. Tell me a little bit about that. What's your uh, name? I, I I've I've known her for a bit here. Okay. Uh, so my freshman year, I I I was dating her for almost two years now. But um, she go to the games. Yeah. Is she a good hockey girlfriend or? 
yeah, she well, she plays on the women's team, so yeah. Oh, she's, okay. She, she's great. She, uh, it's nice having someone who gets it. Damn, a power ho- power hockey couple there. Yeah. Oh man. Jeez, another generation of Hudson hockey players. If that thing works out, right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, that's not bad. That works out. What about uh, culture and music and movies and stuff like that? You do that stuff. You movie guy, TV show yeah. guy. Uh, for movies, I I was never when I was younger. I was never really into like the Marvel superhero stuff. Yeah, me neither. And the last two years, I I recently got into it. And oh, I, they got you, huh? Yeah, they, they, I I was like, and I I think I was missing out. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy, you do comedies and stuff like that. Mob movies, you Jim Carrey, yeah. Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell type of stuff. Yeah, I I recently watched a pretty good one. Uh, it was The Rock and Kevin Hart, I think. Okay. It was uh, Central Intelligence. Okay, all right. But uh, I, I I've seen some you know pretty funny ones. I like the funny movies. Now my like okay, so I was an older brother, right? So I was always. Showing my younger brothers things like, hey, you know, like me and my brothers have been to all these Pearl Jam concerts together. Like that was my direct influence, right, on them for for better or for worse, I suppose. Um, and certainly many other things. But one thing that drives me nuts, I feel like, about Generation Z, is that what you are? You're Gen Z? Is it seems, yeah. it seems like there's a focus on what's happening now and five minutes ago. And for some reason, people aren't showing you what happened back back you know like i do you have someone guiding you into things like you know 80s and 90s 70s 80s and 90s rock and roll and like you know movies and actors and things are you like you know if i showed you a picture of chris farley or something you'd be like who's that fat guy you know like how how do you feel in terms of being cultured things that haven't happened five minutes ago uh okay sounds like we got to work on it i could tell already yeah, I, I think there's definitely <laughs> grow uh, for you know past cultures, but I, I I think I'm pretty cultured. I I don't know though. Okay. All right. All right. Anything else? Do you have any questions for me? Is there anything you want to know about Anthony? Uh yeah. Okay. I, I, what do you got? Uh. Well, what what besides the national championship? What was his favorite hockey move like moment that you think of? Besides, okay, and besides, yep, I know exactly what it is. Or is it that state game? No. Okay. When he was a sophomore at Franny's, so he it was his, his freshman year. He made club varsity, and then his sophomore year, he made the prep team. And the star of the prep team was this kid named Vinny Scarcella who played at Canisius and then played pro hockey after that. And he was, I always called him the main man. He was the main man of St. Francis hockey. Right. And um, when Anthony made the prep team, he worked and worked and worked to get, he wanted to play with Vinny. You know what I mean? But obviously Vinny's on the top line. The season started, he wasn't there yet, but they had a tournament around this time because I remember it was the, the Saint. I'm a big saints fan and they had played in the NFC championship game against your bears. Uh, if you're a Bears fan, I don't know, but the Bears uh, that week and lost. And I was in this funk, right? Because uh, my team, that's the first one they'd ever been in, and they lost. And I was pissed. And uh, he was in the tournament at Gilmore Academy in Ohio. And um, they were playing a team called the Edge School, which is in Calgary. 
and the 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 game was in the last is the last face off of the game and it was in the defensive zone and his coach time to call the timeout and they call the play called Dukes where they win the draw the, the the play is to win the draw defenseman takes it around the net and just throws a blind pass to the dot the center ice dot he's just that's what he's trying to do as soon as the puck drops the one guy slides off the ice in the back door and someone comes out the front door and catches that pass on the dot and you're trying to set up a breakaway right yeah and it worked and anthony got picked to be the guy to come out which was huge for him to begin with cuz he's you know there's probably some people who thought they should have been the one to be picked, uh, but he's the he's the one who's picked, and they crush this play. I mean, he picks that puck in stride. Probably they could have been whistled for uh, not too many men necessarily, but maybe like an illegal substitution. Maybe he gets on a little early, but he's behind the refs too, right? So they don't really. So it works perfect. He catches the pass and goes down and wins the game at the buzzer on the breakaway. That I'm sure if you asked him, that would be his like biggest moment besides the frozen yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's pretty cool yeah just having that detailed memory but i've i'll send you the video yeah you, I, you, I i love to see it you have to watch it a couple times because it happens so fast you got to like okay i'm gonna watch anthony this time or i'm watch the path you kind of got to watch it three or four times to put it together but i would say that to me as like again as someone in his inner circle who i mean, i've seen everything lane like I, I was every step of the way i was there with him you know i think i was uh a different voice in the inner circle you know someone that wasn't his parents but cared as much as his parents but i was always just there for him like you tell me what do you think how what do you want you know what you know i was that guy where they would you know my parents are more like well why don't you do this why don't you do that you know just naturally so i think that's was my role and so i've seen everything i was at everything Every step of the way through now, I think I support his career now as a coach. I try to approach it the same way I did when I was watching him as a player. And for me, that state final game. I mean, he would pick up the puck and people were like ooing and awing. You know, like <laughs> he had the whole state of hockey at that moment, like in his fingertips. And unfortunately, they didn't win, but like they were minus 600. Or plus six hundred in that game. You know what I mean? They're a big underdog. Yeah. You know, and he when he chased the goalie, man, when he scored that goal and the goalie, you know, they're celebrating and the goalies are switching. It's like, holy shit, he might pull this off, you know. I mean, it was pretty much him and this kid Scotty Diebold who ended up the goalie. He was the um he played at RPI. But um that was it, and they were playing a team, a really, really, a really good team. The team that Kaner would have been on if he stayed, that he lost it. Yeah. You know, that team, you know, is the team that, that beat him. So that's probably it. Anything else? What Not do you, enough. What are you doing between now and the bean pot? What's the schedule look like? Uh, we got UNH tomorrow, so. Okay. One more game. Yeah, and then uh, just get ready for it. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate this. Hopefully I broke you in. So in a couple years, when the spitting chicklets and the big boys are calling you, um, you're ready to do a long-form interview like this. But I appreciate you. Good luck the rest of the way. I'll be watching for sure, rooting for you. And uh, hopefully I'll get to meet you this summer or something in Jersey or wherever. Sounds good. All right, Lane. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.
All right, I want to thank Layton Hudson and, of course, Aaron Schatz for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find those interviews, all episodes of the Sportscasters podcast, including the season premiere with Bob Costas, on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email is the sportscasters at gmail.com. Instagram at sportscasters. going to try to do more there this year. Uh, don't forget about the 24-inch podcast, Hollywood Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself. Also available on the Sportscasters feed at 24-inch podcast on Twitter, at 24 underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, if you'd like to email us some requests or questions, 24-inch podcast at gmail.com. A couple other things too, North-South Connection. Make sure you're checking out their YouTube channel. Uh, I've done a few different things there recently. I was on a uh, Dave and I, Hollywood Dave and I, did a Hulk Hogan. They did a countdown for best ever Royal Rumble participants. And uh, Dave and I did uh, worked on that. And then uh, and then uh, I was also on the Place to Be Nation flagship, which is now not only an audio podcast, but the video also runs on the Place or the North South Connection. Uh, uh, YouTube page, and I'm going to be doing a video tonight uh, with Peter Winson, uh, Hollywood Dave Rollins, and JAD talking about the main event of WrestleMania 5, the Mega Powers exploding Hulk Hogan, and the Macho Man. So lots of stuff out there. Also, I went to Welland, Ontario yesterday and recorded a two-hour interview uh, with Pizza Joe Gonzalez uh, of uh, Right Right Choice Real Estate up there in, in, in Welland, near Welland. Uh, and uh, he, he invited me down. I don't know if you've seen his pizza reviews, Pizza Pizza Joe. Uh, they're out there, and it goes up February 9th. I'll, I'll tell you more about that when it gets closer. But looking forward uh, forward to that. Okay. Uh, with all that said, it's, it's one last thing uh, for me today. And uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about... Uh, a loss in the Yale hockey community. Um, uh, Yale hockey, Yale hockey was a home for my family and I for four years, um, and it's a, it's a, the 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 well is a great rink, um, a great place to watch college hockey, and there's great fans there uh, that are not only alumni, uh, not only students, uh, but also um, people who live in New Haven. And one of the loudest voices and biggest fans uh, of the team was uh, a man named Stu Cohen. Uh, and Stu is a guy who lived life, man. This guy, first of all, the the number one Yale fan in the world, started going to Yale football games in 1964 and went to every single one except for one between 1964 and 2023. And he went out a champion as Yale won the game this year at the Yale Bowl, his last game. Uh, he was also an avid Yale hockey fan. And, um, you know, luckily was able to travel to Boston in 2013 and see Yale win the Frozen Four. Uh, as he's someone who goes to the Fro- went to the Frozen Four almost every year. And he was there that year as well. And he's someone I got to know just a little bit. Uh, and, uh, he would always, uh, anytime on social media, when I would tag North Tonawanda, New York, he inevitably, inevitably would be in the comments to tell me that he went to 
a Texas Roadhouse in North Tonawanda. And I would say, oh, yeah, it's right down, you know, the road from my house. I know it well. been there many times. And, you know, six months would pass, and I would tag North Tonawanda in a post or mention it, and, and we'd have the same conversation. I always look forward to it. Um, he he was at the Roger Maris 61. He's a huge Yankee fan, huge Islander fan, passionate for his teams. He was at the game that Roger Maris hit his 61 home run in 1961. He was a huge rock and roll fan and was at, like, every concert in New Haven ever. And that was a huge place in the 70s and 80s for bands to play before New York City. They'd play New Haven, the New Haven Coliseum or, you know, Toads or wherever. Um, But Stu passed away last week. Uh, He battled cancer. Um, He has, you know, obviously a wife, a daughter, a son, uh, grandchildren, a brother, nieces and nephews who, who are hurting. And they miss Stu and Yale sports and Yale hockey. Uh, we're hurting too, and we miss Stu. Uh, there's a Facebook page, which I would direct you to, called the Stu Cohen Share Group. It's a public group. 313 members of people just sharing their memories of Stu. You know, uh, moments they had with him. Uh, games they watched with him. Pictures he's in with so many of the different Yale faithful I've met over the years, people paying their respects uh, to a guy who was always there um, and sadly uh, won't be there anymore. Um, and I wanted to thank Stu um, as the brother of a Yale hockey player uh, for everything he's meant to Yale hockey and to Yale athletics. And... um I wanted to say that I'm thinking of his family, of course, uh, the ones who love him the most and miss him the most, his daughter and his son and his wife. Um, And I just wanted to say rest in peace to Stu. Um, Billy Joel nailed it, right? Only the good die young. Cancer sucks. Yell's going to miss Stu. Yeah, hockey's going to miss Stu. Everyone who knew him, everyone who met him, Everyone to look forward to him reminding him, reminding them that he went to the Texas Roadhouse in their neighborhood. He's going to miss Stu. So rest in peace, Stu Cohen. Damn.